everybody. Perfect. Thank you. This week on the Transatlantic Rebels podcast, we've got a horror triple bill. It's a Stephen King triple bill. And there are three spectacular films to discuss. Gerald's Game, 1922, and the huge mega hit, It. So stay tuned, because things could get scary. No one speaks like that. Okay, so this week on the Transatlantic Rebels podcast, we have a special Stephen King triple bill where we are tackling Gerald's Game, 1922, and It. Now, all three of these were released around September, October of 2017, so we're talking about six or seven months ago. Um, For some reason, I didn't get to see It at the cinema. Uh, I have no idea why. Um, And I only caught Gerald's Game in 1922, like, last month, maybe. Um, So uh, both of them are funded by Netflix and distributed by Netflix, whereas It is a traditional studio film. And it has become a huge, gigantic mega hit. It's, I think it's pulled in over 700 million worldwide, and I take it that's not including rentals, because I rented it last week. So um, it's become a gigantic hit. For for those of you old enough to remember the sort of two-part miniseries thing, or whatever it was called, on, um, on terrestrial TV... That was, uh, I watched that probably when I was about 10 or something, maybe 10 or 11, I think it was. Because um, I had a disturbed childhood, clearly, <laughs> watching horror films. Maybe that's why I tend to just watch them in short bursts now, horror films, and then leave them for the rest of the year. So what we'll do is we'll do a spoiler-free section first, just um, going over, just spoiler-free on, on what each film is about. And uh, and then, then we'll get into the meat of it. So I tell you what, Rashad, why don't you... Just let the listeners know what Gerald's Game is about. Um, Gerald's Game is about this uh, couple who um, have uh, a, st- a struggling relationship, I guess, and they go away to a cabin to kind of like rekindle their like romance. And uh, the husband wants to get into like a kind of like a rape fantasy, so he kind of like ties her, like like handcuffs her to the um, the uh, bed, and she's not really feeling it. So basically, what happens is um, he took a Viagra pill. And then he winds up having some kind of stroke or heart attack or whatever you want to call it or something. And he falls down. And basically the rest of the movie is set in a situation where she doesn't know if her husband's dead or alive. And she doesn't know how to get out of that bed. And then there's more things that happen. She started fucking her life. And there's certain things that happened in her past that kind of leads her up to that point. And then there's one weird thing that happens later on as usually is in Stephen King's story. Yeah. Uh, and then 1922, I'll take that. That's a bit more straightforward. It's set in 1922 on a family farm, and it's all about a crime that's committed effectively. I mean, that's not a spoiler to say say this is Stephen King anyway. And um, once that crime has been committed, it's about how basically things just unravel 
in in this person's life. His name is Wilf, who's played by Thomas Jane. Uh, I hadn't actually seen Thomas Jane in that many things, but I really remember him from Hung, which was this, I think it was an HBO, like, three-series thing, where he was playing a male prostitute. So that's all I remember him from. And uh, it's in Omaha, Nebraska. So it's quite kind of, you know, old-worldy in a way, I guess. And uh, it's almost almost a century ago it's set, set in that situation. And... Um, and yeah, it's just basically that, that's the long and the short of it. As time goes on in the film, um, things get more Stephen Kingish, but initially it's, it's nothing too kind of, uh, surprising or, or kind of grotesque or anything. And how about it? And it is the story of, um, these kids that live in, uh, Derry, Maine, which is like, um, one of Stephen King's like favorite places to write about. Um, and it's basically about these kids who live in this neighborhood, which has this history of like weird shit going down. And one of the one of the kids, his name is Bill, has a brother, and his brother winds up being accosted by this thing called it that looks like a clown. And the majority of the movie is the kids trying to figure out how to stop this clown while dealing with the adults in their life and the situ that weird like disheveled. Especially in America, like there's this ideal of like the the concept of the suburbs, but then there's also this like dark secret going underneath it, and it's kind of like that kind of situation. And that's the first part of two. Um, it two is coming out. I think they're starting to shoot this year, and they maybe come out next year or the year after next. And it kind of deals with them growing up. But this one deals with them for now being the kids, whereas the book kind of like jumps back and forth with it. But this one kind of sticks just with the kids and how they deal with it. And then the uh, it part two is kind of deal with them when they're adults and dealing with that same situation with that creature called it. Who is a scary clown? It must be said, just for the sake of clarity. I I, I was offering to uh, watch this film with certain people, and uh, and at least two of them said, "No, I really hate clowns." So um, I didn't know people really hate. I don't know. I'm not scared of clowns at all, to be honest. I'm scared of things that want to kill me, but not a clown. I don't know, but whatever. Okay, I tell you what we'll do is we'll take a quick pause for the cause, and uh, we will come back and enter the spoiler-free section. No, that's not correct. We will come back with spoilers. Okay, so we're back. So what we're going to do is take Gerald's game first, then 1922, then it. And then at the end, we'll kind of just, you know, we'll kind of hop in between all of them at various times and stuff. But that's the general structure. We're going to assume that you've actually watched these now. So um, if you haven't, this is your last chance to uh, to check them out. On Netflix, you can watch Gerald's Game in 1922 and it. I'm guessing you have to just rent it at this point now. I had to rent it last week. So, um, so Gerald's Game, Rashad, what did you think of this film? I thought that um, just watching this movie, like seeing how Carla Gugino, the main character, um, she hasn't like the thing with actresses in Hollywood, especially actresses that are older when they're when they're hotter, when they're younger, and they kind of like let them taper off a little bit and then you don't see them for a while in the public, in the public sphere. I'm sure they, they still work, but not on like that, that out in the front kind of situation. Um, so I think this movie for me, like the main part of this movie that I think is most impressive is her performance as um, the character. Her name is uh, Jelsey, Jesse Burlingame. And uh, it's pretty much like her on, on a bed kind of dealing with that for the most part. And then it cuts like a couple of flashbacks of her being, molested by her father and kind of like that's kind of like kind of tapering off the kind of kind of men she deals with and she got married to in the rest of her life so it's kind of like it's almost like a it's almost like a, a miniature version of um of castaway 
I mean, even though she kind of deals with Bruce Greenwood with her husband every now and then, but it's pretty much all on her shoulders. And I think that's very impressive that she was able to carry that movie to that level. Even with all the weird Stephen King stuff going by, you think that would be the stuff that would grab you in. But I think it's her performance and just how subtle it is and just how much she sells every moment of happiness, sadness, pain, fear. Like everything is just, I thought, was on par with, with some of the best performances I've seen last year. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I'd concur with that. I always remember one thing you said about Room, the film Room, um, which we did a podcast on, that and Dogtooth. And you said that Room was much more of a kind of an actor performance-based film, um, whereas Dogtooth was more of a conceptual thing. For me, Gerald's Game is, is definitely that. It's it's based on Carla Gugino and her acting chops. And her, the way that she carries this film is remarkable. I think she's so good in this. And the way that they structure the film to kind of get get around the, the, the vagaries of the, how the novel has been apparently written, because I haven't read it, um, it's very clever. So, I mean, you know, we're in the spoilers. So basically what happens is, as Rashad mentioned in the spoiler-free section, her husband gets a bit carried away. He's had a couple of Viagras and he's kind of, you know, he handcuffs her to the bed and it's like a reinforced bed and there's no way she can get out effectively. There's no key or anything like that, whatever. And um, and so, you know, what he wants to do, she's not really feeling it and he ends up having a heart attack. I think it's a heart attack. And he's just slumped on top of her. And she, you know, eventually she has to kick him off. But by that point, he's dead, basically. And there's a pool of blood on the floor. And um, she can only kind of half see the body, but she can see the pool of blood. And she's trapped. And so she, it's a bit of a weird film, basically, because there are definitely things where you're like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Or what would I do in this situation? But then as the film goes on, then the, really the crucial thing is there is this flashback to when she was, I don't know, 12 or something. And, and she, I think she just got her first period or whatever. And, um, and then she was sexually abused by her father. And I have to say, I mean, that, that whole scene and that whole narrative just completely got to me. I, I was just in shock. Like I still like since watching it like six weeks ago or whatever, like once a week, I'll just sit there and I'll just think about it and just be horrified and like, horror films aren't always about you know traditional horror it's not always like a scary clown and it's not always a monster sometimes the monster is someone in your own family and that's what is really fascinating about this film and it manifests itself that she chooses a husband who also kind of has many issues that potentially like are shared with with her father and it's kind of directed her in this course and there are so many little subtleties like like the husband it, the way that it's structured is that she kind of passes out every now and again because she's just, you know, like handcuffed to this bed and there's no water or food or anything like that, right? So she starts having these weird visions and stuff. So sometimes she'll come in, like a, an alternate version of her who's kind of confident will come in, an alternate version of Gerald will come in and they'll be interacting with each other and her. And so it's it's very fascinating the way that it was filmed as well. They used to say... Um, I think they said that they would film her as confident on the same uh, in, in the morning and then they'd cut to her in the bed where she's kind of a, a wreck physically later on in the evening. And and she had a lot of input as well. I think the director was saying the director was Mike Flanagan and he really relied heavily on Carla Gugino. And um, I don't know. I just loved it. I love this film. It's one of these films where I think if you just go along, if it just went along that one track it, it would be very meandering and would get very tired very quickly. But once the kind of sexual abuse thing comes in and, and then you get, okay, you get the kind of slightly weird serial killer who, who's kind of got the, the, 
I think it's called Acromegaly. I don't, I don't even know what that is, but he's got a disfigured, disfigured head and stuff. That to me was slightly unnecessary. I mean, I, I didn't really care about that storyline at all. Perhaps it's different in the book. Have you read the book, Rashad? No, I haven't read the book. No. Um, I mean, what did you think of that storyline in particular? I mean, that didn't really bother me. I do know, like, like just looking back after I watched the movie, like, I, like, I, like, I was like, okay, with that thing, especially when she's in the court, court, uh, courtroom. She goes, "Well, you're a lot smaller than I remember, or bigger, or whatever." Like, then she walks out. Like, I know what they were trying to do with that kind of stuff. So I was like, I could take it or leave it with that kind of stuff because I was like, okay, that's Stephen King just being Stephen King. Sometimes I feel like he writes something. And he says, "Well, I got those some weird shit in there," and he just yeah. throws it in there like that. I think that's always been his thing. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But for me, it didn't bother me that much. But I do know that I was reading a lot of reviews about it and talking to people on the internet and stuff about it. And for it's like it's only fifty fifty. Some people are like they could take it or leave it. And the other the other half is kinda of like, why end the movie on that term? Or why even bring that guy into there? Some 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 people said that movie could have been almost almost quote unquote perfect if they just left out that that um that guy right there. You could just had her and the and the fear. Like they said the the, the doll was enough in the room. Like what the, what the hell is the doll's gonna do in her? She's bleeding this and that. Like that could have been enough. And kind of still deal with her backstory and stuff like that. But I think that that, that guy was just like a Stephen King. Like, is she really seeing that creepy dude? Or is she not seeing that creepy dude? And then I guess if you, like, if, I'm wondering if you read the, if you, somebody was reading the book and it actually happened that way it was going, the way it was going. I'm wondering if that's something in the back of your head when you're reading, like, is she really seeing this dude? Or is she not? Maybe it works better in a book than a movie, I think. If that's the case. Because I think that if you write a book, you can kind of do, like, you the sky's the limit when you write in a book. Yeah. But when you but when you're doing a movie, it's like sometimes you when you do adaptate adaptations of certain things, like you have to kill your dog sometimes to 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 make sure that the movie works the way it is. But I think that he just felt like I'm pretty sure he felt like okay, this is a Stephen King thing. Let's keep the Stephen King thing where it's at. And also, if you're reading it, your your imagination is limitless, isn't it? You know that 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 guy could be as scary as you want him to be. Whereas in the film, I don't think he was creepy. I don't think it was scary. I think it was just a bit weird, basically. Like it was just, if anything, it was almost kind of felt sorry for the guy. I felt slightly sorry for him. I was like looking at him like fuck, you know. Uh, I know it's not very politically correct, but I don't know. I just it for me, it wasn't necessary. And and if you if you'd cut that from it, yeah, I thought the dog was scary enough. I I, I love the interplay between. Um, between the two main characters, how do you think? Um, what's his name? Bruce Greenwood. Greenwood. Yeah, I, where is he from? I don't even know. I don't he's think all I've over seen. the place. Yeah, he's he, he's that guy. He's that guy that if you see a movie, he's in there. You remember? You remember the original Star Trek, the one with Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto? Yeah, when it rebooted, he was in there. He was the original like captain, and then he kind of like told uh, Captain Kirk, he was like, "Your dad wanted your your dad was a, a brave man. You need to be brave." He was in that. He was in um, double. I think it was Double Jeopardy with um, with um, uh, Tom Lee Jones and Ashley Judd when she was when he was the husband he was a douchebag husband he's all he's one of them guys where he's all over the place if you've seen him one place you've seen him a lot of places I give you a couple of movies um, he was in um, uh, so many movies he was in Kingsman the Golden Circle he was in um, Star Trek the Darkness the Place Beyond the Pines he was in Super Eight Dinner for Schmucks. He's all over them. He's like one of them guys where if you see him, you know him, kind of deal. Like he's not a like. But he's he's really like a lead, though, is he? Isn't yeah, he? he's a character actor for the yeah, most part. Yeah. Whereas in this, he is one of two leads. You know. Yes. I I, th- I think he did a good job to be honest. He he came across as right bastard, and um, I mean I mean like also the the other one who got to me really was um, Chiara Aurelia as young Jesse. I mean, she was fantastic. Like. 
uh, I think I'm pretty sure I can't remember now because I was basically ill and fucking paracetamol and shit. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure I cried watching this film, like in terms of the sexual abuse storyline, because I, I mean, I, I've never been a victim or anything like that, but it just, I mean, now as a parent, I, ju- I was just like, I just could not get my head around it. And like, obviously that's good for me, but I'm just like, why would you do this? What kind of monster would, and it really upset me. And like, I told my wife and she's like, I don't want to know. Just don't tell me anything. Just stop talking because you just don't even think about these things, you know? And, and, but then obviously this happens every day in every walk yep. of life all over the world. And, and like I said, you know, it's, it's different if you've got a scary clown chasing you and, you know, whatever, whatever. That, that, that really is fiction. This is not fiction in terms of like, this is not out of the realms of possibility. It happens all the time. And I don't know, something just cut, cut deep within me. Um, and that, that really elevated the whole film, um, to, to another level for me, even though it made me feel so uncomfortable. Um, what would you give this out of 10? I would give it, and eight just for the performance alone. Yeah, I'd give it an eight. I'd give it an eight for. I'd probably give Carlo Gugino a fucking nine or something. I don't know. I think she was this. This to yes. me, if you're talking award ceremony stuff, I mean, that this is angry. Yeah. Oh, so what happened? Did she get like? No, there was there was no recognition for it. I guess because yeah. there's a war. There's a war going on with like the Academy oh, yeah. and Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, there's a huge war going on. Netflix are like, now we're going to buy some movie theatres and billboards. <laughs> this, I'm seeing to it get on Twitter there. a they, lot. Yeah. I think we should do You know what I think we should do? All right, one of our podcasts on, on, on Netflix stuff. Because that's interesting right there, like that war between the Academy and Netflix. But yeah, this is one of those situations where it's like, come on now. It's like the, the times are shifting and you guys got to get on it. Like people are watching things a different way. And there's a whole generation of kids and, and young adults watching the thing a certain way. And you have to adapt to that or it's going to be too late. And this is one of those things right there. And I understand they're trying to like preserve a certain thing, but things like this do need to get recognized at some, at some aspect somewhere, somehow. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be a good, good podcast discussion to be honest. We'll do that in the future. Uh, I, I'd give this an eight as well, like overall uh, as a film. I think there are a couple of things that I would take away from it, but in general, the performance was just amazing. And that, that a couple of those storylines were just fantastic. Um, Okay, I'll tell you what, we'll take a quick pause and come back with 1922. Okay, so 1922. Let's go straight into this. What do you think of this, Rashad? I'm going to be honest. There, there, there was one plot point that pretty much killed the whole movie for me, for the most part. And that, it, it's only because on a personal level it affected me. Because um, basically the point of the movie is like there's a guy, Thomas Jane, He's married to a woman played by actress named Molly Parker, and he's pretty much the year nineteen twenty two, and he pretty much wants to. He's one of them guys where he married into a situation where his wife has this huge property, and he wants to keep it, but he has no power. So he schemes to kind of like like kill her and get it all, and not have this other organization to buy it from them, whatever like that. So he gets his son to help him kill his wife. But the reasoning for him, for for the son going along and killing the wife, just killed the movie for me. And like I couldn't, I like I like sometimes you have to like you, you have to build a character before you can understand why they made the choice they made. And like a son just killing his his, his mom because his mom wanted to move away from his girlfriend, and and that's all you just sell me on. That infuriated me. It made me angry on on a personal level. It kind of like it's kind of like okay, we're going that road. And like that could that 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 totally killed my. Suspense of disbelief. So the rest of the movie was kind of like on borrowed time with me, in a sense. 
So that's this is weird for me. But um, but other than that, like if compared to like talking about Gerald's game, because I remember telling um Jessel about this because when Gerald's game came out, it was getting rave reviews, and then it was like called they were calling it the Stephen King Renaissance because it came out and it was and people a lot of people thought it was good. And then Joe's game came out. A lot of people thought it was good, and they thought this was going to be the next one in that like Stephen King Renaissance or something like that. But then when I saw this one, it was like that kind of hit me a little bit. And then the fact that I know, it, I, I remember you talking in the beginning like you didn't know who Thomas Jane was. You saw him like maybe like one or two things, maybe something like that. But I've seen him a lot of stuff, and I see. And then watching this movie, it seemed like he was trying to go against the Thomas Jane actor hero he was trying to be. So he kind of pushed himself into that kind of like that that rural country guy. And and what happened was is that I had to put the friggin' um captions on because I couldn't understand what he was saying half the time. <laughs> yeah. So so for me it was like I was already at like it was like strike two, and then it's like just the rest of it was like it's not the movie's fault, not the director's fault, but it was just like those I couldn't get over the hump of those two things, and I was just like it was like generic Stephen King. It reminds me of like those Stephen King stories where it's like. He slaps them all into like like a like he doesn't slap it he doesn't put it into an actual story or actual good compilation of short stories he puts it like on his like his his short stories that he needs to like just throw something out there and slap it out there and that's what it felt like to me. You're being a lot more polite about this film than I'm going to be. I I did not like this at all. There was hardly any redeeming features to this film. Um, I don't know. Struggling to think of many. I don't think Thomas Jane did particularly well. He completely overplayed it. Um, the plot doesn't make much sense at all. It felt too long. It really dragged. Um, I don't know. It just even in terms of this wasn't a horror film. This was just like a stupid decision film. And then they they kind of shoehorned again the horror element into it via rats. And it was like, let me ask a question. Oh, Is this like a? Do you think it's like a watered down version of the Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe? You've read that? Re- no, I haven't read that. Oh, you haven't read that? Where no. basically it's like this guy who, who schemes to get rid of this other guy and he locks him up. Like he brings him down to his base. There's a party. He brings him down to the basement. He actually like like walls him up. Like he puts him in like, like there's like a wall he dug out. He says the guy's drunk. He likes the guy in the wall. And then he goes crazy because his conscience is starting to get to him. He starts hearing and seeing things and it's like fucking with him. And it's kind of like, I guess if you've read the story and then maybe some of your listeners have read the story, it's kind of like a lesser version than that. But I was going to ask you this question because because I didn't see it before I recommended it to you. I was going to ask you, this is a good question. What did Gerald's game get right that this got wrong, in your opinion, if you give me three things? The performance of the of the lead. So if you're going about Thomas Jane versus Carlo Gugino, uh, this night and day. And, and I, I still think, I've seen Thomas Jane in a few things. And I think he's a perfectly good actor and I like him, but this, I just think he overplayed it. it. Seeing as no one else in the film overplays it in any kind of way like that, they're all kind of quite moderate, whereas he's not at all. And it just wasn't believable at all. Whereas she was just completely believable. Um, number two, I would say the plot just, I just don't know. It just makes, I, I know Gerald's game is, is kind of like, it's a bit contrived because, okay, you know, why is she handcuffed to the bed in, in such a way that there's no way she can escape? Like, it's a bit, it's all a bit excessive, but you're like, okay, you can forgive it. And then if it dragged on along that way, you'd, you'd jump off, but it doesn't, it goes another way and kind of delves into her history. This, it just doesn't make sense at all. I mean, why would you get your son to... Even in 1920... It wasn't that long ago. I don't know. Like, you know, it 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 doesn't really make sense. It kind of... 
Nothing about the plot makes sense. What, it was lazy. Why, it was lazy. It was incredibly lazy. I'm struggling for words here because I'm just like trying to articulate how bad I thought this was. It wasn't like a badly made film in a technical sense. It, it, was, yeah. it wasn't great, but it, it was it was perfectly decent. Competent. It was competent. Yeah, but but it's just the whole premise of it was pointless, like you said. And number three, I'm I don't know. I just don't even want to carry on. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, what would you say? Can you fill in? No, I mean, like I said, like like I said, that killed. Like, I, you you have to give me more. If if a son's going to kill his mom, like you have to give an excuse. Like, do you have a history of being like against his mom, something like that? He, so he gets along with his mom, and then all of a sudden, his dad tells him, "Well, your mom's going to take it away." Like, don't get me wrong. As a guy, as a heterosexual guy, I understand when you're young and age, you like the chicks, right? And you and you want something. And if your mom doesn't like somebody or something like that, then they say something. But I never said, you know what, mom? Dude, I can't tell this girl. You know what? The first, the next step I'm going to do, I'm going to kill you. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna kill you, mom. I, was like, I just, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't bother. I was like, this is so lazy. Like, I wanted, to, I wanted to like kick my screen. I was like, this is so lazy. Like, if you're gonna tell me this kind of story, then set it up. Get, then give me reasons why the son would even go along with his dad. Give me the family dynamics that he would even do something like that. Or if that's not the case, then have a situation where it's like, I don't even know. There's other ways to go about it. Is doing that. And like I said, the the, the performance, like Thomas Jane, is typically a good actor. And like I said, I just felt like. Sometimes I feel like when, when actors get pigeonholed, like they, they try to do something different and then go too far into it. Or maybe sometimes like 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 it just wasn't working out and he was trying to find some kind of logic behind it and he he was just grasping for straws. So he thought, you know what, if I can't pull anything out interiorly, then I'm just gonna use my I'm gonna use my exterior to kinda like get the point across. And I think that's what he kinda tried to do. Trying to ch- try to make his exterior more interesting because there was really nothing going on in the interior. So like I said, there. Like I said, between this one and Gerald's game is there was a lot more for Carla Gugino to go on with her backstory than this guy with his situation. It's like, okay, you're a douchebag who wants to own his property from your wife. Okay, are we supposed to get on your side? But even if, even if you, even if your main characters would be an asshole, you kind of have to give us something. I say even likable, give us something compelling about that guy to see what's going to happen. Like, either you want to see him achieve it as an asshole, or do you want to see him get his comeuppance? But with this guy is like, okay, he's just a douchebag. Okay, whatever. That situation. Yeah, I think, I mean, number three came to me anyway. And um, I, I think the, the kid and his girlfriend becoming Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, Jesus Christ, where <laughs> did that come from? And then she gets, what, shot in the stomach while she was pregnant? I mean, is that, or whatever it was. Or, or, uh, fuck knows. I don't know. It was just useless. I, I think the thing is, you're talking about also difference in direction here. You've got two kind of, I mean, for me anyway, relatively unknown directors. Like Mike Flanagan did Gerald's Game. I, I know, like, he's got like a, a horror of, a history of horror films, but I didn't really know who he was. Uh, Zach Hilditch is an Australian director who did 1922. Never heard of him either. I, I think this is, the, this is the kind of situation where, I think the crux of it is what's the point of this film, 1922? If you had like an antagonist or basically if it was as simple as something like, like, you know, the, the what was that film we watched? Um, you, you know, the uh, Taylor, what's his face? That writer, Taylor Sheridan. And we yes. did that podcast recently. So the one which is set in the in this in Texas, what was it called? Hell High Water. Hell High Water. Okay, so there you've got basically you've got Jeff Bridges as the as the cop who's chasing down the quote unquote bad guys, right? Now in this, even if you just had one character who's just trying a little bit harder and it focuses on them and it's their story as well, like even if it's like ten percent properly, where they're trying to catch this guy because they really suspect. But at every point, it's like anyone who suspects him is like. 
okay, I suspect you. And within 30 seconds, like, oh, it's okay, fine, I don't suspect you anymore. <laughs> and, and, like, that's ba- basically it. And it's, and, there's no and, suspense. Like, there's nothing, no suspense. The, the only suspense is will he, like, stand up to it psychologically within himself? And then what's going on with this stupid kid? And it's like, okay, I don't know. I, I just, this was such a waste. It was such a waste of a film. And to be honest, I think Netflix wasted their money on this. To be, I'd love to know what the feedback is. From, and again, okay, this is another point. Rotten Smarters. This has got, like... 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. And, and we need, if we're going to do, if we're going to do a podcast about Netflix and their various stuff going on right now, we need to do one about Rotten Tomatoes because for me, it's losing all meaning right now. Like, and it's films like this that are making it lose meaning for me. You know, 86%. I mean, Jesus, come on. It's nowhere near that. Uh, it's not even 68%. I, I just don't. Like what's going on here? Like, what's going but, on here? But really it's different because, like, Metacritic, I really like Metacritic because it actually gives, like a, a, like, a proper percentage score of what the reviews are and then aggregates them. Rotten Tomato seems to just be basically, like, a yes or no. If it's positive, it gives it, like, it's fresh. And if it's not, then it's not. And that's it. So obviously, like something, I don't know, there are some films that are obviously going to be positive, but that could be like 51%, you know, or I don't know what their their sort of rating system is, but whatever it is, it's not working. It's really not working. I mean, I I watched Valerian, I've been watching Valerian on and off this week because it's finally on Netflix and I didn't watch that in the cinema. I loved it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, But then on Rotten Smartest, that was savage. I think that was like, like around 49%, 50%, something like that. And I was sitting there, I was like, we're doing 1922 tomorrow and that thing got fucking 86%. This is not right. You know, this is just not, I know it's not apples to oranges, fine, but it just didn't feel right to me. Um, but I mean, that's a discussion in itself, to be honest. What would you give this out of 10? Uh, I'd give it a four. I'm going to give it a 2.2. <laughs> Jesus, not even for the competency, not even for, for being competent. You know, I'm going to give it two points above for that one. I mean, it's, you, so, you, so you're saying it's a two. I think it was being generous calling it competent to be honest it was a waste of, <laughs> this was 101 minutes long and it was a waste of 99 minutes of my life at least I, I, I think because Netflix cuts the credit short <laughs> so, I don't know I just I, I was not feeling this film I wasn't feeling it hardly anything at all um, I don't know I'd be interested to know if there are listeners out there who really liked it or, or even moderately liked it but I, I just I don't know especially because I think because I just watched Gerald's game like the day before and I liked it so much and I was like okay if this is a, at least anywhere near that level then great but it was nowhere near it so <sighs> okay after that let's go to it after this little break <laughs> Okay, so It, 2017, the film, Chapter 1. Did you watch it in the cinema, Richard? Yes, I did. And how was that cinematic experience? It's funny because it, here's the interesting thing about It in the movie theater. So I watched it, right? I went with, I went with me and three other people, and we watched it. And I, I, I mean, spoiler alert, I really I really loved it. But um, and, and most of the audience loved it. But it's funny because coming out the theater, it was interesting. Because among the, among the, the guys that were with me, the other three guys that were with me, um, only one other person liked it with me. And the other two were kind of like that movie was that movie, that movie was nothing. It went nowhere, and I was like, "What?" And they were what? like, "They were they were, they were they were so unimpressed by it. They were like, it's, it was predictable. It was it was cheesy.' I was like, "What the hell is going on here?" Stuff like that. So that's the crowd I went with. Meanwhile, it was like the the rest of the theater they were totally into it. 
And like to me, I was to- I was totally into it. Like I watched bits and pieces of the original movie, um, original show when I was younger. I was never into it because I felt like it was cheesy even when I was younger when I was watching it. But um, but this one it just felt like like it was just like the the the, the quality of it was just like. I've never been so like like I, I I love horror movies like like when I was young and stuff like that like freaky stuff like that but I've never been so excited to see like a part two and what the cast are getting later on we'll talk about that in later but um I just thought it was when I watched it I was like transfixed to like the cinematography I even bought the friggin' um score to it that's how much I enjoyed the the the, 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 the orchestral score to it and I write to it sometimes and I write like horror stuff but um I was I thought the kids were were great actors. I thought like it was just well executed. It's like it had it had that. Whereas Gerald, whereas um, um, uh, nineteen twenty two tried to do that weird Stephen King thing. This one worked because it kept it subtle. Where the adults were kind of creepy, as well as the clown. So it's kind of like how you feel as a kid, and that was kind of like measured rather than like in your face and trying to like being weird for the sake of being weird. It actually makes sense from their perspective that the adults would look that way, especially how some of them treat them. Um, that's a couple of the firing shots out there, but I thought my first experience in movie theater, like people loved it. People were like clapping at the end of it too. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I wish I'd seen it in the film, like uh, in, in the cinema rather. Um, yeah. So I watched it like about a week ago or something. I rented it from Google play and, uh, and I just, uh, my wife has no interest in horror films. So she just went upstairs. <laughs> so I was just on my own downstairs watching it. I loved it. Uh, I don't think it was a perfect film. There, there were a few things that I thought, okay, this could have been better, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, but in general, as an experience of actually just enjoying it, I really enjoyed it. It was better in, in certain regards, it was much better than I thought it was going to be. I thought actually that it was great that they focused more on the character development of the kids than just the sort of plain scares and stuff. But it was still balanced enough that they had enough scares with Pennywise. Um, I don't know. I I really enjoyed it, and and even the sort of like you were saying before about the the whole dairy main kind of aspect to it, where they were delving into the past of it, and everything was really cleverly done. I really enjoyed the nineteen ninety miniseries, but I, I haven't watched it since then. I mean, nineteen ninety, I was ten. Oh, yeah, fucking hell, I was ten, and I watched it, and I I loved it. Um, I've never been particularly scared by this kind of thing, to be honest. Like I mean, I've been I was much more haunted by Gerald's game that storyline because that really fucked me up. But this, I mean, I'm like, okay, it's just a clown, and then it turns into fucking. I think in the, in the miniseries one, I think it turned into a spider or something, like a gigantic spidery type thing. So this was kind of different to that. Um, but I think this was just a success on pretty much every level. Uh, what, what were the um, the kind of main takeaways in terms of cast? Who who do you think did a really good job? I mean, I mean, before I get to the kids, first and foremost, okay. like I just, I just loved like Bill Skarsgård as, um, as Pennywise. It kind of, it kind of threw me back to how Robert Englund was as Freddy Krueger, in a way like those, like those villains with like instead of like Jason and Michael Myers, were like the guy in a mask. Not disrespecting Jason and Michael Myers, cause I, I like them too, but it's reminding me of the first Nightmare on Elm Street, where it's just, like this creepy dude, and like what the, f- what the fuck is wrong with this dude? And, like, you can't truly understand that person, even though you think... Like, there's so many things. Like, it reminds me of... Um, it just takes me back to the first time at Elm Street, how it's just, like, that creepy... T- it's like, you know what it is? My movies remind me of, be honest with you? It reminds me of the first time at Elm Street mixed with Stand By Me. It's kind of like that situation. How the kids are cruel and mean, and, like, they talk like kids, and they're cursing, and they're inappropriate, and stuff like that. Kind of like that situation. Um, but I just thought he was creepy. Like one of my favorite scenes was the two favorite two scenes I liked to him was basically um, um, the scene where they're in the um, the garage and they're watching that film 
and they're looking at him. I think part of what might part of what might add to you if you sit in the movie theater, this might have helped you. I think in the movie theater with the sound design and stuff like that, where they're watching that that clip and they're seeing like the clip of that lady, and then the the the, the, the um the uh, thing keeps moving. And you see uh, Pennywise's face, and then it's like the, then it, then it, then the screen goes black, and the next thing you see is this big ass Pennywise in a room with those kids. <laughs> and it's just doing that thing, and then the other one is when they're in they're in the house, and then he comes out the damn refrigerator, and he looks like a fucking like that's where I think the tribute to the spider is like his body looks like it's a spider crawling out of the damn um the damn refrigerator box, and that's crazy. And it's just like this 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 weirdness. It's just like this creepiness, especially when he talks to Georgie at the beginning, and you can see his eyes like his like when, whenever he talks. There's a detail where whenever he talks, he starts getting evil. Like his eyes change color, and they're not the same. And then his one eye drifts off to the side when he's like, it's like, like he's starving, like, like, it's like he's dripping drool and like, almost like he can't wait to get it. So his eyes are going away from each other and his eye color changes. It's like small little details like that that you pick up on. And it's like, just creepy. I thought that he, as a, as a villain, I thought was memorable. And then this, the second thing is like, of course we can go down the line. With, I'll let you, I'll let you start with the kids or whatever. Like, cause I've been talking too much. Right well, now. I, I, no, I was going to jump in on Pennywise anyway, to be honest. Um, I mean, I remember Tim Curry doing it in the original kind of TV movie thing. And I thought Tim Curry was exceptional. Like, uh, for that era, especially. I mean, you're talking about, I think Jack Nicholson was had just come off doing the Joker and Batman and stuff. It was kind of similar to that, quite OTT, quite kind of very knowing and stuff. And, and I thought Tim Curry was brilliant. So, uh, interestingly, I don't remember anything else from the film to us. I don't remember any of the other characters or actors or anything. I just remember Tim Curry from that film. So, that that's kind of how strong his impression was on me. And, like, in, I know I'm kind of coming across on, on, on this particular podcast, like, oh, you know, this didn't scare me at all. But it did scare me. I mean, there were, there were a couple of points where I was looking through my hands. I was like, fuck this. I ain't looking at this. And I just put my fingers over my, over my eyes a bit. And... Um, I think the film bit was probably. I think that was one of them. There was certainly there. There were about two bits in in the film where I was like, "Shit, this is freaking me out a bit." And I think I think Bill Skarsgård did a very good job. Initially, it took me a while. Like I was like, uh, because I I guess Tim Curry was so in my head, and I was like, it took me a while to kind of warm up. And then as it went on, and then by that kind of climactic scene, I think he was so good in that. I was like, yeah, all right, I'm one over now. It's all good. Gotcha. And 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 I think if you've got such a successful film, you have to have a great villain in it. And and he is he is a very good villain in this. I have to say. Um, yeah, I mean, if we start jumping onto the other kids and stuff like that, who is the kind of standout kid? We don't need to go through all of them, but who, who uh, are the standouts? For, for me, the standouts are pretty much um, Sophie Lillis as Beverly Marsh because she has like a strong, like kind of similar to how Carla Gugino had her tragic background in uh, Gerald's Game. She was like kind of like on in that similar situation with her and her dad. Yeah, in that situation. So I have her. Of course, I have um, uh, Finn Wolfhard from uh, from Stranger Things as Richie Tozier, where he's like the shit talking kid. Like that kind of situation, and then there's the um, uh, what's his name? I forget his name. Uh, Jack Dylan Grazer is Eddie Casperick. He's the one who has like the mom, like like the mom that kind of like smothers him, and he's kind of like yeah. a hypochondriac in a sense like that. I thought like I think all the kids were good, but I thought those three stood out the most out of everybody else. I do know that um, there's a there's a, there's a small controversy where um, the character chosen Jacobs played Mike Hanlon, who's an African American kid. Um, his storyline, he was in the, in the original book, he was the one who knew the history of um, of Derry and he was doing the research and stuff like that. And it took his storyline away from him and kind of gave it to the other kid 
that was doing the research that was his name was um uh jeremy jeremy ray ray taylor named ben hanscomb so they took the the the, the, the plot line from mike hanlon and gave it to him so that was kind of like a thing where he was like why would you do that kind of situation but um i don't know but i thought so, so what was the what was the kind of like if i push you on that what what was the reason that they gave I think I think arguably the reason was because it was it was the eighties and I mean but it's still the eighties so I, I don't know if I can, I, can, I let them slide like that he's a black kid and they weren't and they and the other people weren't kind of like cool with with um with black people maybe to that sense and that especially in that kind of like town right there so it's kind of like the dividing conquer kind of situation so I guess they kind of rationalized well they would probably talk to that other kid first before even getting involved with the other kid but I'm like you could have found ways around that I mean because Stephen King actually wrote that story. That story that he wrote, I think it, was, it took place... The kids were actually in the book. I think they were in the 60s, those kids. So there's still no excuse for that. So I don't buy that one either. Yeah, I mean, like, I was thinking, rationalizing it. It's, that's basically like Stranger Things season two because that is almost identical to what happens there. You've got the kind of love triangle um, between... Who is it? I can't remember. But there's the, there's the blackhead in that and then there's what's his face and there's three I, I don't know there's a lot i'm sorry i'm dreadful at this but but then in this maybe it would have been a bit too close to home especially since you've got one of the stranger things kids in it like playing a almost similar role but but then that doesn't make sense because they would have been shooting concurrently i don't i don't know like it, it's a bit of a weird one if that's that's what happened um because i actually liked the the actual character uh, as opposed to the, the, the performance of uh, Ben Hanscom. I think it was really fresh and coming in and doing that history and stuff. So it's a bit of a shame, I guess, because I do think that, that Mike Hanlon's character, played by Jos- Jos- uh, Chosen Jacobs, was very kind of sidelined and it seemed a bit weird. I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I like you, I think Sophia Lillis did brilliantly. I, I'm not quite as sure uh, Henry Bowers, the, the sort of sociopath who leads the Bowers gang, um, I think did fine. I don't think there was quite enough development there, and I think it was a bit too much. Like, I mean, fucking hell, what are you going to really... Are you really going to, like, like knife your name, carve your name into some kid's stomach? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, but, but I don't know. Maybe people did that in the 80s in Maine. Um, I mean, look at my country right now. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, I, I'm, well, I mean, in fair, see, see, this is the thing. Then, if you had a black kid, then that would have had added a whole different dimension to it. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they thought it was a bit close to home. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I thought the kids were fantastic. Um, how about some of the adult performances? Um, like I said, they, like they all pretty much played like almost the same note. Like it's like just something weird, off centered. They're not listening to the kids. It kind of I mean, going back to the Elm Street. It's almost, it reminds me of the Elm Street thing where when the kids are trying to tell the adults about Freddy Krueger coming after them and the adults are kind of like, oh, whatever. And, and the fact that the parents neglected that made the situation much worse. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like the sins of the parents come back to haunt the kids. I mean, even though on Elm Street, they specifically burned Freddy Krueger, so he came back to get them, like get revenge on them, their kids or whatever. That's more specific. But this one is kind of like that same, like that, that suburban kind of like, or at least that type of suburban, not all suburbs are like that, but that specific type of suburban like, well, whatever. It's, you think you're normal, but it's not normal. And like everything that's been going on in that town has been going on for a while, and people are just like willingly ignoring it until it's too late. In that sense, and it's like leaving it. Is you know what? Now that I think about it, it's so friggin' like 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 similar to what's going on right now in my country. In a sense, I mean, not to get too political, but it's like the kids with the gun control thing, and and the kids are the ones leading the march, saying this stuff's got to stop, and the adults are kind of like 
and some adults kind of still like like what the hell's going on here but getting back to actually getting back to actual stories like kids are, there's there's this thing with Stephen King sometimes in stories with the kids the kids are almost like the truth sayers because they see past the bullshit and see things for what they what it is whereas the adults are kind of like in this like stupid days because I was talk, I remember I was talking to my kids in my school the other day and I was like and I was like and I was t- we were talking and I was like sometimes I'm pretty sure you guys look at adults and go what the hell are you guys thinking <laughs> like what you, like just like the, the rules you make and the things you do don't make sense sometimes. So getting back to the movie, it kind of feels like that. You're seeing it. You're almost seeing it, the, the adults almost don't matter because you're seeing it from the kids' perspective. And from the kids' perspective, they're a bunch of weirdos because they're not seeing what they're seeing. Yeah, um, those are all excellent points, to be honest. Uh, from a technical like point of view, how do you think like the horror film aspect of it was handled then? I thought, except for, except for a couple of... The only one I had, the only issue I had in that movie... Was the one thing with the um, with when uh, what's his name? Uh, let me see what his name is. Stan Urs when he's when he when he's the, the Jewish kid and he's going in to be um, for bar, study for a bar mitzvah. He's acting in the synagogue, and there's like this this spooky ghost lady in there. And the only thing I didn't like was that thing with CGI, which they kind of went with more practical thing. I think sometimes with horror, like it's, I know something the Pennywise had to be CG, and I, that part was totally passable. But certain things like that that you kind of stick with the kind of like, like tactile kind of creature feature, kind of thing like that. I thought overall the movie was well, was well directed, and it was like a deft hand right there. But there's certain things that 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 were CGI that should have been CGI, and that was like one of those things. Yeah, I mean, I I think um, the only, I guess the only. Bit I didn't particularly take to was in the house, like the, I think it's a penultimate kind of like big scare bit, where where they're in the house and you've got the different rooms and stuff like that. I thought it was fine, it was okay, but uh, I wasn't particularly engaged. I was much more engaged like in the build up to that and then at the ending as well, the climax. Um, it, it did occasionally kind of fall on horror tropes, but it's a horror film. I mean, you know, if you want yeah. to entertain people in the cinema, it's okay. It doesn't, not everything needs to be super groundbreaking. Plus a lot of people have already watched like the miniseries, like older people like, like me. And a lot of people have read the book as well. You know, it's one of the popular Stephen King books, hands down. So I, I, I don't know. Um, it, things need updating. Right. And, and this did, I mean, the only thing is it did occasionally very much remind me of stranger things, but and like the original was set in the sixties, wasn't it, or whatever it was, twenty-seven years earlier or whatever. So, and then the the new one, the part two, will be set twenty-seven years after this one, I guess. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I just think it worked. Like for me, like if I, I'll give my sort of rating out of ten now to give it context, I'd probably give it like, I don't know, like a seven point five or an eight or something like that, because I just enjoyed it on a pure enjoyment level, and like I loved. More than anything, I loved the kids and the development and the backstories with their parents and all this kind of stuff. That was more fascinating to me than any kind of horror tropes. But I also enjoyed the main villain, who is Pennywise. Um, so, like, it, it just it just worked on those kind of on the most important issues, basically. And then I think sometimes, like something like say 1922, they're kind of focusing on the edges too much and not the big picture. Whereas I think in this, they got like those sort of main plot points right, basically. And and it also sets it up nicely. Like I, I can't wait for part two. I mean, that I better fucking watch it in the cinema. Put it that way. So you know, um, what what would you give it out of ten? Um, right now I give it an eight with an asterisk. It, 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 the floor is eight for it. 
But depending on how part two goes, it can go up a point. But that has that depends on part two. But for right now, for me, it was eight. Like to me, like there's 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 just, there's just debate. Like there's been resurgence in like quality horror movies, like this one in a quiet place, stuff like that. Like stuff where it's like they're bringing it back to just not like cheap scares, but making sure that the horror is there, but also make sure the characters are strong. And I think that's what's making these movies more successful than people are expecting. It's like if you it it, it goes back to like right now. I think. The, the most successful movies. I mean, you get your outlier of like like wham bam summer movies where it's like whatever stuff goes down. But I think the more successful and memorable movies that are coming out right now are these people are remembering now that character comes first. And then you have a good plot that's great, but if you don't have characters that you enjoy being around or like compelled by, then um that's not going to happen. And I think with this and um with this and uh and a quiet place is kind of getting back to that spot. Yeah, and just to remind the listeners, we did do a quiet place um, like last week or whatever it was uh, as a podcast. Do you think? Okay, here's a question for you. Do you think that this would have been even better as like a a Netflix series, basically, if this had been like a sort of ten part series or something, and then or, or five part series, and then they did the next five part on 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 the the sort of older kids or whatever, you know, twenty seven years in the future or whatever? What do you think? I mean, you 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 could, but. I think it wouldn't have to be honest with you because it's on Netflix. I, it, it, here's the danger with that Netflix thing. It's too close to Stranger Things on Netflix. Then it would just be like an, another Stranger Things. But because it's in a movie theater, I think that's where the, that's that's where I think it's more of a cultural event. Where because I think with this one, it's more important for you to. It, I think this is one of the movies where if you're in a movie theater with a receptive audience, then you get that feel. And I definitely got that vibe when I was in a movie theater, like A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place. And I know you're saying, I'm not trying to compare it to you, because I know you're talking about the, like, the, like the full breadth of the novel. I'm just talking about like that cultural impact that it had. It had that because everybody was in the theater experiencing that thing. And they haven't had that experience in a while. Yeah. I mean, like in terms of A Quiet Place, the last thing I can remember like was Gravity. Um, I, I know that wasn't a horror film, but in terms of like that kind of everyone just being really quite quiet in cinema, I think Gravity was the last one. Um yeah, I don't know. I think you're right. Stranger Things, it's kind of funny that they're, they're very much kind of two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways, but I think this was a hugely success. Oh, Jesus. It was made for $35 million, and which is one Andy Carroll to any Liverpool fans out there. And it um, it made $700 million at the box office. I mean, wow, that's 20 times as much. I know that's not completely, you know, net or whatever like that, but that that is incredibly successful. So... And I'm sure the second one, if they nail it, do you reckon that could do a billion? Do you reckon that could be the Here's, new Black Panther? <laughs> I will say, I will, I will say this though. I don't know if we'll get that high, but just the fact that Jessica Chastain is playing, playing Beverly Marsh, and supposedly, um, uh, what's his oh, name? Oh, so I tell you what, can you take us through who's playing who? Who's um, okay, so for right now, you have um, Jessica Chastain playing um, uh, Beverly Marsh, and then you have you're going to have. Uh, Right now in talks is James McAvoy playing the adult Bill Denebrah, and you have Bill Hader playing the adult Richie Tozer right now. So you, you definitely got Chastain, and you and you have James McAvoy and Bill Hader close to signing right there. So I'm, I'm imagining with the fact that it too is going to be humongous, and I think it's going to be a big thing. I think they're going to get they, they can get any actor they want for the most part if they do want it. So I think that's going to be huge. And like I said, they got the same director coming back. So I would think if that made seven hundred. I said the, the floor is seven hundred. Depending on how good it is, here's the thing with that movie. It's gonna make it's gonna make Boku money no matter what. 
But if the word of mouth comes out before it comes out, that is great. The sky's the limit. I put it that way. That's my thing right there. But it's it's gonna it's gonna make at least equal the amount of the, the original movie, especially if they. But then, I, but unfortunately, because it was made for thirty five million dollars and it made seven hundred million off of that thirty five, the budget is, for, is unfortunately going up because you're getting those actors in there. But if they can manage to control the 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 cost of the movie to offset whatever like um, whatever. Um, advertising fees they have to do later on that's not a part of that thirty that 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 uh, filming budget then I think they'll be okay I think they'll be okay no matter what to be honest but I think the goodwill that it would have generated um I, I don't forget there's so many people who didn't even watch it at the cinema like me um so I think I think they'll smash it you've got a good two years between them and and it, that's a lot of runway for them I think that I think they will be huge at chapter two so that's that's supposed to be released on September the sixth of twenty nineteen. So uh, what are we now? So yeah, just less than a year and a half away. Um, I think it'll be huge. To be honest, it'll be very fascinating. So um, so out of the three Stephen King ones, which was your favorite? I would have to say it. it but but I was say if there's one singular thing out of all three of those things, I would say Carla Gugino's performance. But if you're talking about movie, then uh, I would ease it by a mile. Okay, and what was your least favorite thing? Um, the one with the numbers that's in the title. <laughs> <laughs> well, four forty-four by Jay Z. Um, no, I, I, yeah, same. I, I think I'd agree with that. I think Carla Gugino was just so good. I, I actually loved her. I, I would shade it to Gerald's Game in a way because I think it's just a much more personal film. Um, and I watched all of these at home. Whereas, if it obviously if it is in cinema, then then it was where it was at for sure. And I can't wait for it too. I think it's gonna be huge. Okay, well, um, yeah, that's me done with horror films for the next year. So see you in 2019, basically. Uh, and we will be back with lots of content next. Um, just to let you know, there's Janelle Monae's album coming out. There's uh, a little film called Avengers: Infinity War Part One, and we will definitely be covering that. Um, we've got loads of other stuff. There's, there's a few that we might cover, like J. Cole, um, K.O.D. And uh, my favorite album at the moment, just to give you a kind of advance warning, is by uh, Kaliuchis called Isolation. It is so good. Wait, wait, honestly. wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought it was J. Cole's album. Which one? My favorite. Yeah, your favorite album at the moment. I thought it was J. Cole's <laughs> album. Right? <laughs> right? K.O.D., right? No. Why are you laughing? I don't understand why you're laughing for. <laughs> no. No, no. Uh, well, listen. I don't want to spoil the podcast, um, but but listen. I've I've reviewed I reviewed like J Cole's first three albums, and you know, like was well into it and stuff in terms of like I was giving him proper chance, and then his last two, we're gonna have to talk about it. Put it this way. But if you're talking about the one that you should be listening to, listener, right now, if you haven't, is Kali Uchis Isolation. It's I, it's getting rave reviews, but it's just such a good album. It's only forty five minutes long. And uh, it's so varied. Even the gorillas turn up on one track. It's just brilliant. I can't recommend it highly enough. I've been bumping it now for like 10 days solid. Okay, that had nothing to do with Stephen King, but it had stuff to do with Transatlantic Rebels podcast. So uh, don't forget to check us out on Twitter. Uh, is the Twitter thing sorted yet? Not yet. I forgot about it. I might have to do a new one, man. Okay, fine. In that case, in the meantime... You can follow me at Jessel TV, so it's J E S A L T V. And uh, Rashad, what's your at Rashad Scott? Yeah, so it's Rashad Rashad oh, Scott. I would have had you follow me on Facebook, but I deleted my Facebook. But so there's that. you deleted it. 
I deleted my Facebook. It's all gone. Wow. How come? I, I, there's, there's many reasons. Zuckerberg is one of them, but there's also personal reasons. I was like, I just got to get off of it. Twitter. Okay, arguably, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to cut back on my Twitter addiction, but it's tough. So we'll see what happens. But I, I won't delete my Twitter. I will never do that. But I'm, I'm trying to control myself and get on Twitter, but it's, it's the worst addiction I'm having at this moment. And it's kind of productive, so I'm working on myself right now. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed the sea change in, in Facebook behavior. People are just are not posting as much at all, to be honest. They're being a lot more careful about what they're posting. Um, I'm tempted to delete. I've, I've actually got two two Facebook accounts, like in terms of pages and this and that. So I might delete one of them. I've kind of had enough of it. But let's see. I might just leave it dormant. Um, okay, anyway, sorry, we're off the point. So don't forget to check us out on Facebook. <laughs> we haven't deleted the page. Uh, Transatlantic Rebels Podcast and twitter t underscore rebels or our personal ones which we shouted out okay uh thanks very much and check you next time peace